One thing that I hear from gym owners all the time is I want to change my business. I want to improve my gym, but I don't know where to start. Well, we listened to that. So we created The Hub. The Hub is basically an online MBA in owning a gym. There are courses, there are templates, there are free stock images, uh, t-shirt designs. Everything that you need to run a gym is in there. Not only did we create all these courses and templates, but we also have created a curriculum, almost like a syllabus, as if you were in a college course. So over the next three months, the syllabus that we have created is all about marketing your gym and getting new leads in the door. So for the month of May, our focus is on creating a marketing strategy. In June, our focus will be content marketing. And then in July, we're going to wrap it all up, put those things together, and teach you how to create paid marketing campaigns, both on social media, Google pay-per-click, and everything that you need to generate some more leads for your gym. If you're interested in just checking it out, there's a seven-day free trial. Really excited to bring you this week's episode. We're joined by Raph and Lachlan. These guys own Creature CrossFit in Australia. They own three locations They are also the hosts. You probably know them from the Mind Muscle Project podcast. Uh, This is a great show because we cover a lot of things related to gym ownership. We start off talking about what it looks like to open and manage multiple locations and what comes along with that. We talk about how they got their start in opening their gyms and actually talk about purchasing existing gyms. Uh, It doesn't take long for us to talk about general concepts of entrepreneurship and gym ownership, which is where this show really gets good. Uh, Specifically, we talk about different business models that you can use when it comes to growing and scaling a gym that doesn't necessarily always mean increasing your overhead, increasing your membership, and increasing your square footage. So if you find yourself thinking of different ways to grow and the only thing that you come up with is adding more members do know that there are a lot of interesting options available there. Uh, so enjoy today's show. Uh, we're certainly very thankful to have these guys come on. It was a very, very fun and uh, sort of free-flowing discussion that I think you'll enjoy. We'll see you next week. All right, guys, we're back for another week of 321 Go Podcast. We're joined this week, uh, opposite time zones, opposite sides of the world with uh, Raph and Lockie. These guys are from the Mind Muscle Project and Creature CrossFit. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to have you. So you guys, it's first thing in the morning for you guys. Are you coaching or doing anything today? Uh, I have to say if we're coaching right now, I wouldn't be doing a very good job. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> being on a podcast. But yeah, our class is going on downstairs. Well, like 20 people in it right now. Yeah, hopefully it's not too loud. What are they doing? Oh, they're doing a med ball rotational workout. Right. Yeah. Uh, so where are you guys calling in from? Uh, we're in Marrickville, so it's the first location uh, we started our gym at, and we're upstairs. It's like it's in Sydney, so as soon as you go out of the airport, we're the, flo- the closest CrossFit gym. Yeah. Gotcha. And so you guys are business partners. You own Creature CrossFit together. You have three locations, is that correct? Yeah. And you're sitting in your first location. When did you start to branch out? Uh, so we got an opportunity... Uh, a year into owning the first location uh, from a gym that Raf and Rory, who's one of our other business partners, have coached out for, well, how long were you coaching out for? Like three years? Yeah, since the beginning. Yeah, and uh, she you know, just decided to end up, she didn't want to run gyms anymore and she wanted to wrap up her 
well, at least her second location that she opened, and she offered it to us, you know, trusting us as, you know, they coached there for a while and she knew who we were and she thought we were doing a pretty good job at Creature. And, well, that was the perception. And so, yeah, she, she offered that to us and we bought it and we made it our second location and literally the same deal happened with our third location. She, um, she wanted to close her original location and she offered it to us again and, yeah, we, we took her up on the offer and now we have three. Having opened up a location brand new and then having bought two again, would you prefer to always buy your next one from somebody else or open brand new? Yeah, sorry. I should actually say the first location we also bought off another person. Oh, no kidding. Okay. We've never uh, we've never actually started a gym from scratch, so we don't actually know what that's like. And the funny I, thing is, though, is now we're trying to move the second location, so we're having to like, sort of go through the process of finding a location and getting like council approval and stuff. Yeah. And have, in doing that, I realized I never want to do that process again. Never, because it, you know you, you don't get that much when you when you buy uh, a gym that's sort of um, not thriving too much. But one of the biggest things you get is just set up. Mm. Has the location, council has like approval. yeah, has council approval. Like hopefully it doesn't have too much noise problems and and you're ready to go. So that's an interesting point to bring up. Is oftentimes, I don't know. Let's start here. What is kind of the trajectory of CrossFit been in Australia? Is it have have you followed sort of the popularity uh, and bubbles that we saw here, or is it you know would you say it's following a different trajectory? Yeah, I think it's just like a little bit later than America. So in 2013, when, when we wanted to start a gym, it was like going off. And I remember like we were both coaching and people would just walk in all day, just like, yep, whatever it costs, like I've just decided I'm going to do CrossFit and they're signing up. And it was like a constant flow that, that never ended. And then I would say like as soon as we started was when the drop-off began. And then probably from like 2014 to now, I think the amount of CrossFit gyms sort of hit like a maximum and now it's been like slowly dropping off, mostly because people just aren't walking in like they used to. Um, so that's probably shaken everything up in, in the last couple of years quite a lot. Yeah, it's like what, six or seven gyms. Well, actually a gym that was probably one of the best uh, known gyms and one of the most well-established. I mean, they pretty much had like a membership cap and you know the owner and, and his wife was living full-time off the gym. I mean, they closed on Saturday. Like they just they just couldn't make it work at the location anymore. It wasn't actually because well business wasn't going great from what I heard, but the the like the the way Sydney is moving at the moment, or it's quite a, a young sort of city. And um, what that means is like lots of people around the world like want to live here, and it's a really exciting place to live. But there's not room for everyone, so heaps and heaps of space is being built up on, and so. What that means is like it's really hard for the typical like warehouse CrossFit gym to exist as it as it does. So anything that's even remotely like a warehouse in a really good location is essentially getting approved for like development for apartments. So the landscape of like just the infrastructure and the buildings of Sydney, it's really hard for CrossFit gyms at the moment. Like they're moving to basements, they're having to be pushed out of the city, they're going to small retail locations where they can't make noise. So uh, it, it is quite tough. Yeah. So when you look at these gyms closing down, uh, you're attributing this in part to the the real estate structure that you know, as things develop, obviously your fixed costs are increased. Um, do you see these gyms 
I guess my question is this. In order to survive, are you seeing gyms need to charge a higher premium? Because obviously, there are plenty of affiliates in New York City. You know, New York City is what you're describing. You know, any warehouse space, anything is getting pushed out. They're building up, but there's still affiliates that are thriving. But these these affiliates are charging absolute premiums for their membership. Are you seeing this as the the adaptation that needs to occur in Sydney to to stay afloat? Yeah, I think I think the best gyms they they're not only charging quite a lot more. There's not many of those like cheap for, for Sydney like fifty dollar a week gyms. I know most of the gyms are charging nearly double that now. And then I think they're also running like a lot of personal training through the gyms, which is obviously a lot more expensive per hour as well. Um, so overall, like they're just they're not a cheap place to go and train in general because hmm. you're just having to bring through so much more money through the business to to make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also. I think that Sydney is not quite saturated there yet with the like its sort of its base income levels. Like the cost of living is quite high, but you know the average income is also still not super high. Whereas New York has a bigger population, I would say, you know, because of the cost of living there and, and real estate and that sort of thing. It's like the people that go there know that okay, I have to earn a certain amount of money to to be there and have the lifestyle I want. So it's been established for a longer period of time there. And I guess it can support it where it's not necessarily the case here in Sydney. It's like people who still think they can afford the Sydney lifestyle that can't are in Sydney. And then when they go in to find a gym, they're like, oh, fuck, like $100 a week. Like, oh, no way. It's like, man, I hate to tell you, but like get used to it. Like, And if you, if you don't like it, you need to go somewhere else if you really want to like do CrossFit. That's an interesting point. So when somebody's selling a gym, you guys have bought three gyms from people. When somebody's selling a gym, it's almost like, uh, let's say I'm selling you a car, right? And, you know, it, <laughs> you know that this car is not serving my needs right now. You know, this, this car is not performing for me right now. And you need to decide as the person buying my car, is this guy upgrading significantly to a much better car or does this car suck? Right? So, <laughs> so when you guys think about, you know, you're buying these gyms. Obviously, people would not be selling their gym. Let me say this. It would be rare for somebody to be selling a super successful gym. Their life circumstances, mm-hmm. but if somebody's staying in the same city, they're not having their life circumstances changing that much, let's assume that they're selling a gym that is not thriving. What do you guys do when you buy a gym that is not thriving to turn it around? Yeah, I say this is something we talk about quite a lot. Um, and it's definitely not easy, particularly at the beginning, because something we always say the gym is, is like a dead gym is a dead gym. So when classes are, are empty, you know, that's like you don't really get referrals and, and, you know, you bring someone in and you tell them, oh yeah, like we're the best gym in, in Sydney and they walk in and there's like two people in class. They, they don't think it is the best gym in Sydney because if it was like there'd be more than two people in class. So, mm. so it is tough in the beginning. I'd say like the number one thing we always talk about is trying to bring back some energy to the gym. So if we're like spread across the gyms, we try and put a bit more of our own faces straight into the gym um, so that people can see like the owners are around, that they're enjoying it and like they're pumped to be there. And that we try and bring up the energy of the gym that way. And then, yeah, I mean, look, we do our best with sales Mm. and that's like our number one focus at the gym is is trying to make as many sales as possible and, and do as much as we can just to get people in the door. Yeah, it's almost like a a completely different set of problems because – when we come to the gym at 
our first location, you know, it's like there's lots of people here and it's almost like, okay, how can we buy more equipment or how can we make more space on the gym floor? It's a different set of problems because right? you've got so many members. How can we have more class times? How can we spread these people out more? Whereas the other gym, it's like we can't necessarily use what well, we've talked about it. Like maybe the same sales strategy or the same marketing strategy is not going to work because selling people on being the best gym in Sydney, like they don't walk in and get that instant like, oh, everyone's here feeling like our first location. And so it's almost like you need that that startup approach that you had three years ago, which like we completely forgot about. Like we f- you forget the days when there was a class of one or two people and like four people was awesome. But then you go to the the most recent location and it's like, okay, like we're back at square one again and like maybe we need to revisit what worked to grow them because the things we're doing to grow now is like completely different for a gym that's like really well established versus like just getting off the ground. And, you know, you think you can just carry over. You think you can just be like, oh, like, you know, use the success of, of gym one, you know, 45 minutes in another part of Sydney to, to help grow gym, uh, gym two and three and it doesn't, doesn't actually work that way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still slow. Do you have a systematic approach to the changes you make when you – so you take over another location. What are sort of steps one, two, and three? I, you know, I'm guessing that there's existing membership there that you probably have to make changes to probably their membership price, the offerings, things like that, the onboarding process. You know, do you – is – by number three, has this become systematic for you or does each case seem to be different? Yeah, I'd say that it is pretty similar. Like number one, uh, we, we try not to change too much for all the existing members and usually the first period of time is trying to let them know as much as possible that, that things aren't changing. Uh, I'd say step two is a lot, a lot around education. So our programming is a bit different and one of our biggest focus has been um, trying to ease people into the new programming and basically educate them on like why it's a bit different Probably a little bit less like traditional CrossFit style training than other gyms, and and a lot of people miss that. So you you want to make sure all your existing members are like remaining happy, and and they're not too worried about the change. People are always pretty scared about it. Uh, and then with the coaches, then the first job is always educating the coaches on like we we pay them differently. Um, they have a bit more responsibility at the gym than than just showing up for the hour class. So it's like trying to upgrade them and and also educate them on how we do things so that. Yeah, like after a few months, we probably haven't added that much to the membership base, but but hopefully the members are, are signed on to the, to the way we do our programming and what we're about, and the coaches uh, are also pumped for mm-hmm. like a bit more of a serious career at the gym as well. And then we're in a position where, okay, cool, now we can try and add people to this gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had mentioned that kind of the first thing that you should begin to focus on, uh, Lockie, I think you said this, going back to those early days of, of hustling and being super sales focused early on. Explain what that means to you, sort of like renew that focus on sales. Yeah, so I guess our our process at our most established location is, you know, when we get on the phone to new prospects and, and leads and that, we let them know like, hey, we do have a very limited membership base. So like if you're not serious about joining this gym, like you can just like, you can just leave because, you know, we're going to want you to pay money and we're going to want you to invest time outside of the gym, not just when you're in here. And if you're not willing to do that, like, like we don't want you here. So if you're not serious, go away. And we can have that genuine scarcity. But at our other gym, it's like, uh, you, I think you're willing to get to be a bit more of a pushover and just make some more, you know, if someone wants a discount or 
potentially if they want a different deal or something like that, you're just willing to be more flexible because it's not really about, you know, where the best gym, if you're not with us, you're against us sort of thing like it is at other locations just because we have the numbers. Instead, it's like you're just more forgiving, I suppose, and you'll take more of everyone. So um, that whole thing about, you know, trying to find your avatar and the exact person that, that suits you, like that's definitely important, but it's really hard to use at the beginning when you know you have bills to pay and coaches to pay and you know there's not a lot of uh there's not a lot of cash flow and there's yeah very thin margins on everything mm. and just getting people into the class we've sort of decided is important so maybe they're not going to be like around forever for whatever reason but just having them in the class having five people in the class instead of one person and having like 10 people in the class instead of five then when you bring in like the members that that could be really good long-term members like oh yeah like cool it's like 10 people here this, this does seem fun like like you said over the phone um, so just doing whatever we can to, to get people in the door yeah. is much more of a priority. Whereas, uh, yeah, when you when your class is full, it's almost the exact opposite. Like I don't want someone coming in and wasting the time in this class of uh, of like our long-term important members. So a couple of interesting points that you made here. Lucky, you said that, I mean, obviously we know as a sales strategy, scarcity, nothing really beats scarcity, right? How do you create a sense of scarcity when there actually is none in in those empty locations? <laughs> uh, so, well, I don't actually take the sales for, um, for the other gyms, but if, uh, if I was, well, actually I was for a period of time when you're on holidays, I basically just let them know that how, uh, and the reality is that our coaches do have a capacity with our system. They do have a limited number of, of slots. They can take on new clients every month. Mm. And I basically say to these people, if what you're saying is true, like you do want to start straight away and you want to change all the things you talked about and you want to start working to the, towards the goals that you have today. And so I can sign you up today because I know I have slots open for you today. But if you hesitate and you wait 24 hours, those slots that you want, that 6 a.m. time slot on you know, next week on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they might not be there. Um, I don't tell them like they absolutely won't be there, but I'm like, look, there's a chance that they might not be there. And so there's, that means there's a chance of you not like reaching your goals, you're not getting towards what you want. Just using stuff to help them create a bit more urgency towards making a decision uh, on the phone with me mm. at the time. Because whenever people go away and think about it, they always think about the reasons they can't do it and why they'd be they'd be a bit happier with an extra twenty dollars a week and a fat body eating sugar. <laughs> uh, so, so you made mention of assist. I'm guessing you have built into the sales system some type of onboarding thing that you use for for new clients and my assumption is this somehow ties into how your coaches are creating these careers out of that how would you describe that you know walk us through what does that look like person in the door onboarded by coach and how does that coach make a career out of these relationships yeah, so basically the system we have at the moment is if somebody comes through the door, like we speak to them over the phone, and, and if they're in, then, then we take the payment over the phone, and then we pass them on to the coach. So the coach will do like five to ten uh, personal training sessions with the, with the athlete, get to know the athlete quite well, uh, which is one of the most important things, so they can find out like if they're a good fit, and sort of build a relationship with them. And obviously, the coach is, is getting paid for the for the one on ones, and then they graduate them into class. And after they graduate into them class, like they're they're like a normal member, is probably what people are normally used to at a CrossFit gym. 
Um, but what they'll do is they'll keep doing some amount of one-on-ones with their membership, with their coach ongoing. So anywhere from like every three months to every week. And part of their membership revenue just goes towards the coach. Um, and basically, yeah, for that consideration, the coach like looks after the athlete, texts them, helps them with their nutrition, like every little thing that maybe a gym owner normally tries to do for all the members um, mm. as best they can. Mm. Just be the person to look after them and... And then, yeah, the coach is able to sort of build a bit more of an income long term because if they have 20 or 30 or more of those people that they look after, um, then they're getting paid pretty well outside of the classes they coach. Mm. And it's, it's sustainable as well. Like We are fortunate enough to have um, a coaching and a training program that uh, operates out of our gym for like athletes that want to do quite well in CrossFit. And they're essentially the only people that can be in that squad are gym owners and, and personal trainers. And so... We get to have our business discussions mid-training as well about how their affiliates are doing. And, you know, for a lot of them, they're still in the mindset that using and – and their gyms are doing well and they're paying themselves well. But, you know, for them, it's about, you know, doubling the membership and, and doubling their revenue so they can, you know, pay themselves a lot of money, which is great. And I love that stuff. But they're, they're doing it, I reckon, upon a broken business model. And, and that's that it's just not sustainable in large numbers. Like – you just get too many when you start heading north of 200 members you just get too many problems like you grow really fast from like 50 to 100 and 0 to 50 but that same growth curve like does not apply from 100 to 150 and, and 150 to 200 and they've seen that you know they've sat at the same membership base for a long time and it's because you your coach turnover is too high and so you keep having to someone called it like coaches are like the brains of the operation and so every time you take out a coach, you do brain surgery on your gym. Mm. <laughs> and if you keep doing brain surgery, like it's not going to last very long, right? And so um, I think, yeah, if you, your coach turnover is too high and uh, if your member turn, like if you have too many members that aren't being dealt with on an individual level, especially if there's not many gym owners, then people are going to feel like they're not taken care of and they're just getting lost in the crowd. And eventually that number 200 is going to slip back pretty quickly. Or you're just going to get like a really very average culture. Um, so whilst our overall profit margins are less, the sustainability of the business and our time that we have as owners and how we want to spend it is a lot higher. Uh, it's a lot better. And I think that's hard to see when you tell someone, hey, like you're going to have to take maybe 20% profitability down to like 15, maybe lower. But you know, you're going to have your time back. Like you're going to have coaches that make a living off it. You're going to have sustainability for the next five years. Um, it's just hard for and people to see. And you can make the overall pie bigger. Yeah, exactly. Most certainly. I, I, I saw a discussion come up the other day, and somebody was essentially, you know, we were talking about mastermind groups, and somebody was like, you know, hey, I'm looking for mastermind groups of people with over 300 members. I, I mean, I'm just throwing out random numbers here. And, you know, if you guys have ever gone to anything where there's gym owners anywhere, uh, they get together. The, the number one question that's always asked is, "Well, how many members do you have?" Right? What you know? I'm sort of reading. Bet- <laughs> I'm sort of reading between the lines here, Lockie. But um, you know, you there's. I always feel an inherent flaw in that question of how many members you have because it's not a measure of of anything. To me, when mm-hmm. I hear uh, how many members you have, all I hear is how many fixed costs do you have. That's all I feel is like. You know, more members, I just hear and feel more expenses, more headache, more spinning your wheels. So what is wrong with that mentality of of more members, adding more people to this 
equation. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's not what people actually wanted when they started the gym, I think. Is they like, it's easy just to count the members. Like, the easiest way to work out how you're going is like, oh, how many members do we have at the moment? Um, but I think, yeah, it's a pretty lazy way to, to go about thinking about um, how your gym is going because, like, I presume most of the gym owners, like, they want a profit out of the gym. And they usually want the profit for, like, as little headaches as possible. And, you know, I'd much rather have 100 members. Um, paying double as much as 200 members paying half as much. And, I mean, not even in that is you're going to make way more money off the 100 that are paying double because your costs are so much lower as well Mm. compared to the 200 paying half as much. So, you know, your profit margin is so much higher uh, and and your headaches are so much lower. It reminds me, we had another gym owner that was on our podcast, uh, Matt Swift, that it was pretty crazy, but I think he had maybe 300 members or so. No, it was like close to 400. And uh, and he cut all his night classes. What? And uh, I think it's so impressive. <laughs> yeah. Um. And he, and he still has a really successful gym today. And he he, brought, he dropped the list and he said, "You're out. You're in. You're he, out." He you're literally in. just cut, you know, I don't know, maybe 150 members from his gym, mm. um, because of the headaches and, and because of all the reasons like I was mentioning. Mm. He's like, "Look, I don't really need them. This is costing me heaps, and I just want to have the mornings and have my life back." And I always thought that was so impressive because you know everyone's so obsessed with the with the number of members, but he's showing there, I mean, he's cutting half his membership. The number's clearly not the most important thing. Mm. Yeah, the, I see it. I compare it often in my head to like a CrossFitter that walks around and tells you his max back squat or his max snatch or his 2K road time. It's like, okay, but we're in the sport of CrossFit. We're not yeah. in the sport of rowing or Olympic weightlifting. Like, what else can you do? Mm. And it's like, okay, you might have a lot of members, but like, what's your net profit? Like, what is your lease? Like, um, how much do you pay your coaches? How much do you pay yourself? Um, you know, how much debt do you have? You know, there's there's so many more things that go into it. And it's just like the measuring stick we've chosen to go around and, and flaunt in front of people. But it only tells like a very small fraction of the story. I think there's this misconception. At least this has been my experience. I've, I've in my business, have played with so many models of membership of my average client value and have fluctuated my numbers greatly. And I really have never found a single time where adding one member did also not add a commensurate amount of expenses, right? I I think there's this misconception of I hit 200 members, all of a sudden I don't have an expense related to that. I hit 300 members. There's there's never a tipping point, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think that's probably the biggest lesson we've learned since we first started the gym is I would just literally do the math so i'd be like cool so these are all the fixed costs and like okay we're break even at like 50 members and every member on top of that is just like this incredible cream <laughs> and this and, huge piece of cream and i remember i did it like i remember talking to other people about it before we started i was like yeah this will and they're like yeah it does seem really good like when you go from you know 50 to 150 it's gonna be crazy like mm. and it just it never ever works out that way because um, well, you're probably going to die of a heart attack if you try and do everything without increasing the cost. Mm. Yeah, well, our friends uh, that are probably listening to this podcast, they, they know who they are by now, but like they have quite a small gym and uh, it, it got full, pretty much full. They've had to like cap classes and that and now they're looking for a bigger location and that is really like, okay, so what if you took half the members they have now and you charge them double uh, and what if you paid yourself exactly what you wanted to pay and you, you had some coaches on the system that you wanted to have would you be looking for, you know, uh, that that extra fixed cost of you know an extra thirty thousand dollars a year? 
maybe maybe you do want a big space maybe you actually want like a track and you want you know big classes and you want lots of barbells and equipment uh, and that's totally cool or maybe you've just been forced to open this other location because you're like well fuck if we want to keep growing you know the only option is to go bigger and i would say like well that's not the only option you could be more expensive you could put everyone's membership up a lot and you can see who stays and then maybe maybe half your membership leaves but you're on the same revenue and then you could start again and then you wouldn't have the headache of opening up a bigger space and that and i don't know exactly what they want but i think there's always more ways about it but yeah that's the biggest problem i see it's like once people start hitting more members they're like cool time to open a bigger space and i just hit time to add an extra fifty thousand dollars to my fixed cost per year it's like man that's so much money and the risk once you get to that point i mean once you increase your fixed costs increase your your risk it, it just is in my opinion the the risk reward is not it just falls way out of whack you know as opposed to 150 or 200 members paying double what a 400 member gym would be paying if something goes wrong like if you I mean, God forbid somebody gets hurt or you end up in a lawsuit or just worst case scenario, when you're in that camp of, you know, massive facilities, you know, massive high membership, you're you're playing with such thin margins that that risk, in my opinion, tends to outweigh the reward. Mm. Yeah. Um, I actually had a question for you. Please. Um, I don't see your podcast, but uh, <laughs> you've dealt with a lot of gym owners and, and stuff like that, so... What what in the situation where you have like a friend of yours or someone you know or maybe someone that's been in the industry for a while that you respect and they decide they want to open a gym and you know the realities of opening a gym and there's always that thing where it's like you want to tell people like you can do anything you want because like you know yourself if someone told you that like or told you not to open a gym, you would be like, fuck you, I'm opening a gym. So how do you feel when you see like people that are like important to you or close to your friends and they're like, oh, I want to open a gym. You know what's involved and like maybe in some situations you don't, I don't know, do you, do you not want wish it upon your worst enemy? Like is it something you tell them to get after but use your help? How do you feel about that stuff? Uh, I, I have had it happen quite a few times. Uh, I have I actually have members of my gym who want to go on to open a gym and like you said, you tell somebody they can't do something, they want to do it. 10 times more. Uh, I, I would tell that person, go work in a gym first. E, you know, um, go through our internship program, work at a gym for a year. Uh, let me mentor you, you know, shadow me, you know, wake up, wake up when I wake up and leave work when I work. Uh, do that for a month. Uh, I'll teach you how to open a gym. I'll teach you how to run a gym. Hell, I'll even finance you opening your gym if it's something you still want to do after a year. Um, so I, I just I try to be as honest with people as possible. I would tell them, you know, what salary do you make right now? You know, with your job, let me just show you what your business will need to look like for you to make exactly what you're making right now in your job. Um, so you know, I mean, you guys know this. By the time a dollar goes into your business, you know, by the time it hits your personal checking account, it's you know, it's been washed quite a few times, right? And so, <laughs> so I just kind of help the people work backwards from there. So let's say they, you know, they're working in, uh, you know, the person's working in marketing or finance and they're making $100,000, right? I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's work backwards from there. Like if you want to make $100,000, you need a gym that 
generates probably half a million dollars in revenue and you need to have this profit margin for you to get paid this. You, you're going to have this many staff that you manage. So this is how many members that will be. This is kind of what that day looks like. So are, are you up for it kind of thing? Mm. But I, yeah. I've always, generally speaking, in my relationships, I've tried to just be uh, genuinely inquisitive. Uh, you know, let's talk through this. Let me ask you some questions. What do you hope to get out of this? Because mm-hmm. as you guys know, um, the vast majority of gym owners, uh, not the vast majority, I would say, but a, a large chunk of gym owners would probably be kick-ass head coach general managers. And they just did mm-hmm. not, they, they never found a gym owner that would provide them uh, an environment in which they could thrive. And so they thought that the only way for them to sort of realize if their dreams of owning a gym is that they become the entrepreneur. I think a lot of people have had a, a rough wake-up call. Um, you know, I, I think the, the majority of people that I talk to that want to open their own gym, uh, I would love to employ them as a general manager of a gym, and then they can do all of the things that they want out of the gym and and none of the shitty stuff that the owner has to do. Uh, because at the end of the day, if you're, if you're starting a CrossFit gym, sorry, I'm just stepping up onto a soapbox real quick. Hope you guys are... <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. It's good. I like it. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, if you want to open up a, a CrossFit affiliate, don't do it because you love CrossFit. Because that is the last shit that you'll be doing as a business owner. Do it, <laughs> do it because you love business. Open a business yeah. because you love the idea of growing, marketing, and managing a business. Do not do it because you love the product. The worst coffee shop owners are people that love coffee. You need to hire somebody that loves coffee more than you do, and you should love business more than they love coffee. That's the biggest mistake that most people make. And I try to communicate that to them. You know, I say, if you want to open a business, if you want to open a CrossFit gym, you're going to be spending a shitload of time in front of a laptop. You're going to be having meetings. You're going to be sending emails. You're going to be on the phone. You're, it's, it's not going to be, it's, yeah, there'll be time for high fives, but yeah, maybe at year five or six, you can give high fives all day. And, and I think that just kind of showing people what is involved in business ownership can be uh, empowering for them uh, on one hand, but maybe show them alternatives for pursuing their dream of fitness without the risk or headache of business ownership. Yeah, that was, you couldn't have put it better. If you love CrossFit, the last thing you should be doing is opening a CrossFit gym. It's very true. (laughs) Very true. Yeah, 100%. How has, I'm curious to see how, um, what year did you guys buy that first location? 2014 in like February. Okay, 2014. Uh, going back on 2014, if you guys could go find yourselves back then, uh, what are some things that you would tell you back then, knowing what you know today? You'd probably tell yourself that puberty is like right around the corner. <laughs> Almost there. <right? laughs> is this business related or is this personal? <laughs> However you want to take it. Uh yeah, well, there's a lot of things outside of business about my fashion sense I, I would have changed as well. And hygiene. Um, my training definitely would have changed. <laughs> In terms of the business, uh, I'll go first. I would say probably one of the biggest mistakes we had was, um, okay, well, the first thing I would say is that uh, when you're, you're lining up the agreement to buy the gym, uh, spend a bit more time 
carefully reading the the contract that that you're setting up um i would say the promises that you get about the state of the gym that you're buying i would be double triple checking um a lot of those and just really looking into like doing your due diligence as much as possible in the finances getting some other people's opinions about what you're doing like some objective third parties and just really looking into every single thing that you are promised or, or told to be there and and maybe doing some like worst case scenario sort of thinking about what you're buying as well, um, rather than just being super pumped up about, about what's happening. And uh, and yeah, and just make sure what you're getting into with a specific agreement is is exactly what you think it is. Mm. That's obviously the first thing. Yeah, I would probably start from like a really, um, <clears throat> really like uh, educational perspective. I'll definitely give myself like a stack of books to get through on on marketing and sales and. Probably the biggest thing that I would do is like, hey, either hire someone and start putting some money towards them or, um, or you know, potentially even give them some equity and that would be like a really good bookkeeper or accountant, someone that knows numbers and is honest with you and knows how to manipulate numbers and uh, like our bookkeeper now says, is like make every dollar that comes into the business is um, tax, well, not tax-free, but you know, tax it as, as little as possible and you don't know how that import, how important that is until you see your first tax bill and you haven't really ever dealt with tax before in your life and you're like, $5,000, like, for what? It's my money. I don't get it. And then you're like, oh, okay, all right, I live in Sydney. And so, yeah, like, yeah, I potentially would have given like equity to like a really good bookkeeper and accountant that, that I trust in the industry. So, so invaluable and you never think about it at the time. There's there's these weird I don't know if you guys experienced this as well but I I remember thinking certain things were important that I look back on in hindsight you know I was there was this idea of like oh here's the type of programming that we're going to run this is the most important thing that I need to be thinking about in business and you look back on it and you're like well shit I didn't even set up my books right <laughs> you you have no perception of what's important and what isn't you know Mm. Yeah, I think the uh, with program because I go back and forth on the program. I definitely think it's important. It's now what separates us a lot from other gyms. But in 2014, like program wasn't that important. I think it's more important now. And uh, I heard Ben Berger on a podcast say it's really important because it kind of dictates the flow of the class and like how you, your coaches can get around and coach people depending on how much volume you program and stuff. So it's obviously really important. But I think when we opened the gym, like it, we focused on it so much. I mean, we had meetings on a Sunday morning, like just discussing like the things program. in the program. And it's like, yeah, it's got, it's yeah, got, it's, it's, it's like something you probably worry about when everything's going really well and like all the business stuff is taken care of. Then you're like, okay, like let's talk about this tempo we've got on the back squat. But, <laughs> but in those, in those early days, you know, it's it's the obvious thing to look at because when you were a coach or when you were a member, like where you've just come from, it's mm. like all you thought about and cared about. Mm. And it's all you really talked to the owners about because mm. that's like all you were interested in and, and you sort of assume that's all they were thinking about. Uh, and it's and obviously, it's like your your name's on it, so you're proud of it and, and you want to make sure it's, it's right. That's what everyone else sees. But yeah, I mean, like when you're just trying to grow a gym, it's, it's like priority number 107. Mm. Uh, I just want to make like for all the people that are listening to this that, uh, athletes at, at someone's gym and stuff, I think you need to really respect 
you don't know what goes into writing programs and the thought that the owner puts into it. And they do put a lot of time and, and effort into it. And the reason you're at their gym is not to tell them how, you know, you need more air bike and you need more heavy barbells and stuff. I mean, you're at their gym because you're, you're there for, for other reasons, you know, for the community and to add to the gym. You're not there to take over and, and have it run exactly how you want it. You know, if that was the case, if that's really the case, like go open a gym or go get hired as a general manager. But I think you need a, I think people at gyms and a lot of our, um, 99% of our clients respect us and they love us. But, you know, I see people at other gyms and they, they don't respect their owners purely because they don't like the program. If you really don't like it, you need to, you need to leave because like, it's not going to change because the owner believes in their program and their gym for a reason. That's why they, they have it. It's not like an open invitation for people to come in and get exactly what they want. You know, So I would just like be more conscious of that because it, it can be a very frustrating process for, for owners and, and gym owners out there. Yeah, but I saw some really cool uh, workout on Instagram today. <laughs> you know, that guy snatches more than me. I need to catch up to him. It's like, dude, take, take steroids. He's black and he's six foot eight, 285 kilos. He's going to snatch more than you. Oh, man. that's. Uh, I think that's a, a, an excellent point. I have, uh, because of where I'm situated, I have a lot of members that are physicians. And I, I got into a conversation with one of them one time where, you know, the, the conversation came up about programming and like, we did legs yesterday. Th- that thing came up, <laughs> and uh, and I go, and I go. That, that's interesting. What you know? I, I tell me your thoughts on WebMD. And she was just like, "Oh, I see. Yep, you're right." <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's true. So yeah, yeah. Oh, I have cancer. Right. <laughs> so my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I've a swollen lymphoma node. I think it's cancer. Like, like oh shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Google diagnosed point. me. Um, <laughs> I so you guys so you opened this first location in, in 2014 or, or purchased this location in 2014. You mentioned that uh, almost immediately after that, this wave of popularity, uh, at least in Sydney, sort of fell out. Uh, my guess is that forced you to have this renewed focus on marketing. Uh, is that safe to say? Yeah, I'd say it's very accurate. I mean, what happened was it meant that what we thought was going to happen like didn't um, didn't play out how we wanted. It we definitely were pretty slow on the uptake because we were exercising a lot during the middle of the day. But um, yeah, it definitely forced us. I mean, it's like anything; it takes a while for you to, for you to realize. Mm-hmm. It's not just abundantly clear, and like it's only clear when you look back on it. Um, but I'd say after about twelve months, or a bit more than twelve months, it, it, it did become quite clear. Mm. So, so I think yeah. yeah. Yeah, the uh, the strategies of, of marketing as well, like when you, you don't know what you don't know and so like when things aren't going well, you don't really know how to fix it mm. and I think at that point, it's really important to get like a mentor or like some sort of guide um, when the people just stop walking in the door and I don't think a lot of gym owners have done that and it's the reason they're shutting down is because they just don't know what they don't know. So they like when people aren't walking in the door, they can't figure out why they don't know what to do. There's no, there's no strategy. There's no like, okay, let's go and write this article and you know understand good copy and you know post it on Facebook and do the Facebook ad correctly and target people correctly and and track it and we want to see these numbers and this person and you know and get this phone number and call them do that. There's there's nothing like that. It's just like what is going on and then 
it's just it's just the day you just wake up every day and you email and someone wants to go on hold and someone wants to cancel their membership and you have no way of bringing people in. Like it's really sad. Mm. It's really depressing. And like we tried to revisit our marketing strategy, but th- to the honest thing is like when things were going wrong, we didn't know what to do. And I don't think it was until we started getting help and getting coaching on business and, and reading the right books is then you actually start having a starting point and I think that's what it is for a lot of gym owners just having that starting point having something to do in the states I think we saw a similar wave in 2012 2013 where uh, you open up shop and you know you hang you hang your sign on the door and it says CrossFit people are calling you people are coming in because it's this new and interesting thing and at a certain point that sort of first wave of people that are interested it dies off eventually, you know, it's any sort of like organic underground movement eventually sort of pilfers off. And so I guess my, my question for you guys is what was that? You mentioned you started reading the right books. You, you got some assistance in marketing and business. What were those first very like specific marketing tactics that showed you a little momentum early on? Yeah, well, I'd say the first one um, was pointing out what didn't work. I think we did an ad in the paper. Oh, my God. It was like $500. Oh, my Stop. God. What, all right, well, I, I want to know, know what he said. Well, like, I think yeah. probably the thing that stood out the most. So we took out the I voted paper. against it. I was the only one that voted against and, uh, it. I fucking still ran that and shit. And it was, I think it was like $500. And, and obviously nobody came from the ad. But I remember I posted about the ad like in a Facebook group of people that lived in the area. And the only people that ever came from it were the people from this like post about the article in a Facebook group. And they're still members. And they're actually still here today. Yeah, and I was like, so years such ago. good members. And which I guess pays for the ad in some ways, but <laughs> <laughs> it was the best ad ever. <laughs> so we got our return awesome. on it. But I mean that made it so obvious like that that sort of like, you know, non digital shit just is so much less effective. Um, in general, or just something like really wide and sweeping with no targeting, like, like a, in a local paper. Mm. Um, so that was like, I mean, obviously the biggest um, hint that we had early on. And then, yeah, I would say when things started to turn around for our marketing. Drew, maybe? Yeah, it, we obviously started to get some like business coaching and, and they were making it really clear that, you know, the more leads you have, essentially the more money that you're going to make. Um, and that's when... We started to have the idea like, oh, there is a type of person that we actually do want to come to the gym and then like every tweak that Lachlan would make to the website, he started to have that person in mind. Mm. And like once you have that person in mind, it's like every single thing you do in the back of your head, like every little piece of content you, you put out, um, it's just so much better targeted because, you know, if it's a picture of like, I don't know, some some old lady at the gym, it's like that's not exactly who we're trying to target at the gym because it's not, you know, so many of them out there and it's not the culture we're trying to build. And we're just not going to put that out there, even though it is awesome. Because uh, if we put it out there, then, then we might attract more of them. So we try and really, yeah. And once we had the idea of, okay, this is who we want, I think just it really started to make a big, slow difference because we kept putting out that this is the person we want and this is the person at the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, as well, like when we look at, I think marketing is probably... I find marketing is a lot harder than sales, but I find if you can do some good marketing out there, it does make the sales process a lot easier. And for us, and just being CrossFit in the area we're in, we're lucky that we were still getting a, a slow trickle, 
just enough to be like, okay, let's not worry about marketing per se just yet. Let's just focus on sales and conversion. Mm. And so we, we did a lot of work on getting really good at phone sales and like overcoming a lot of shit in our head about, you know, why sales is bad or why I don't want to do sales and what sales means and that sort of thing, um, which is I think really, really helpful because going through that process of getting really good at sales and, and learning about yourself and the, even the objections you have in your own mind, it just it just happens with everything in, in life. It's not just the people signing up for memberships, it's the way you approach you know, the, the, the other stuff you buy in your life and how you help people see the value in different things. And um, yeah, I think that that was really important for us. And so marketing actually sort of came after sales, I would say, the big focus. And something that we've done recently, which I think a lot of gyms should do, is like put a big focus on video content. And I think video content, uh, just the way it's I've seen it go, it's just the easiest way for people to get a really good feel of what your gym's about. If you can get a good videographer and you can get them to communicate about it, your gym well, and you have, you know, you spend a good amount of time thinking about the video, not just like, hey, welcome to my gym and like, we do CrossFit and we lift barbells and it's like, we would love to have you and here's Becky and here's Tom and they're completely different and they're going to talk about um, their, their results they've gotten. I've lost 10 kilos and I've lost 5 kilos. It's like, well, that's like every other video out there but if you can make something that actually is quite powerful, I think it, it's, well, at least in our situation, it's done a ton for our leads and our marketing. And just when you get on the phone, people just know way more what you're about. You're just answering less of the same questions. And I think the people are just like a bit more qualified mm-hmm. when they get on the phone until they hear the price. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great point that you made there uh, about the video content and Last week, every year, my coaches have to do. I make my coaches do new biographies. So we do video, we do one minute video bios every year. They get refreshed, and we just finished up uh, this year's video biographies last week. And I had a coach ask me, like, why do that? Why not just put a picture of us and something written underneath of it? And I said, think about this. You're a complete stranger. You're scared to death of starting CrossFit and you're going to do a Google search. The first three results, you're going to go onto their website. Of those three results, you don't know the difference between good programming and bad programming. You don't know what equipment is good and what equipment is bad. You don't know the difference between anybody's certifications, but one of those three top three Google results has videos of their trainers. That's going to be your deciding factor. Like that's going to be the place that you're going to call. That's the place you're going to email. That's the place you're going to do some kind of intro with because there was just something different and unique. And, you know, it's it's not revolutionary. It's not crazy. You know, it took a day of work, like one extra day of work for a year of leads choosing the place that did video biographies of their coaches. Um, you know, mm. so it's, I think, you know, honestly, guys, I think there's this temptation, you know, people listen to you guys talk and they're like, you know, easy for you to say, you know, uh, you guys have three gyms, you're super successful, your coaches are getting paid a lot, but I think they fail to realize that this success is built upon super small differentiators, right? Would you say that that's the case? It's you nailed down a sales process. You did your first video. Now this has turned into a marketing campaign. So it's, would you would you consider it incremental instead of more like overnight revolutionize the way you run your business? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's like one of our business coaches, 
took us on an exercise and it was um, showing how, you know, as I say, like 12 different things that, that go into your net profit at, at the bottom. And it's like the number of sales you get, then it's like the number of conversions you get, and then it's like your costs, and then it's, it's all those things that go run all the way down towards your net profit. And it was showing how, you know, if you just add 10% to each one, it's like, you know, the, the bottom number is like four times, whatever, depending on how many things you have going into it. And that's way easier than trying to, you know, just improve two of them by like 10 times. Like yeah. 10 times how many people come through the door is like so hard. Like that would just be so difficult for us to think of. It's probably expensive. Or trying to, you know, decrease our cost by 10 times, like almost impossible. But just like 10% on each one can make such a big difference by the bottom. But if someone looked at the 10%, they'd probably be like, oh, I'm not sure if that would make much of a difference. Mm. Yeah, and he made us like get really creative and, and brainstorm different ways that you can bring in money but not membership revenue and membership revenue is definitely the main source of income but you know what about sub leases what about um you know online programs that you can offer your members or is there you know more personal training that you can offer your members is there um you know a denser nutrition course you can offer your members treats actually He's definitely not listening to this, but in case anyone knows him, that is. I actually wanted to fault Ben Berger on, on his on his mindset a little bit. He said that in a podcast. He was like, "Well, I don't look at my members as dollar signs, so I never try and sell them anything more than what I already offer them." And he's like, "It's not about finding a new thing to sell them more." Um, he's like, "They just pay the membership, the little, the like least amount of money they can pay, and like, and that's it, and and that's and it's more about caring about them." And I was like thinking to myself, well, it's actually wrong. Like there are people out there that do want to pay you more money. And if you put on a retreat, you know, and you go away and you can just like be badasses for three days and like hang out and, and do awesome stuff and people want to do that and they have the money to spend, like why is it wrong to offer that to them? They're not. When I don't see them as a dollar sign. You know, I'm looking at ways that I can offer them a, a better experience at the gym. If they want to do an extra gymnastics program and pay for it because that gives them more buy-in, and I absolutely want them to do that. I don't want to like create some situation where it's like, okay, everyone that walks in, like you've got to be on the cheapest membership and I don't want to sell you anything ever again. Does that mean he like, they ask for a shirt and he's like, oh, well, you know, just take it. Like it's free. It's all good. Oh, I want some of that protein. Ah, oh, you know, just have it for free. Like it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like a very wise strategy. So, I mean, he's got his shit figured out. Like, so, um, I guess he's doing all right. Some people will hear that and it could potentially hurt, like small little things like we're talking about, small little ideas, smaller changes can like hurt people for a long time. Uh, that that particular mindset, I believe, is like very dangerous. Uh, I think that making uh, sort of data-driven decisions, um, one in particular that I did in my business is I looked at my retention numbers and, and there seemed to be a big over-under on my lifespan of a client and so i tried to decide like look at all right well who are these people that sort of have doubled the average retention i want to figure out what are some things about these people and almost unanimously across the board these people spent over a certain amount in in my business and so it's it's not this idea of and, and that increased their retention you know as they bought personal training they were retained for longer. They exercised for longer. They 
or fitter and part of this community for a longer amount of time as a result of taking advantage of other services, you know. So there was, like in all business, there has to be a win-win all the way around. So by me selling more to certain people, they were sticking around longer. And in in a way, I sort of now view that as I'm not trying to, you know, upsell anybody, but hey, this is by taking advantage of a high value service, you're actually working out for longer. You know, and I think if you can make a decision mm. armed with some some good data, then I think you can feel better about doing it and not need it's not nickel and diming. It's you know, it's value. As long as you're providing value, it's not nickel and dime. Yeah, Jason Kleeper actually put out a video last night on his, um, like his, just like his fan page or whatever, business page. And it was him talking about, um, like when you go through really uncomfortable situations, like there's, um, a lot of elation and like happiness on the other side. And like for him, he was talking about in this situation, like his, his daughter and like how she's been in the hospital and like she didn't relapse or anything. And he was like super stoked. And I had this phone call with a guy and he was talking about, and I hadn't actually heard this specifically put this way before. And he goes, oh, well, the amount of money it's going to cost me ongoing just makes me uncomfortable. And I go, okay, well, can you afford it? And he goes, yeah, I can afford it, but it's just a number that makes me uncomfortable. And I was thinking to myself, well, I think that's perfect. It's like, if it's not, like, obviously you have to be able to afford it. And this guy figured out he could. But just that figure was making you uncomfortable. I'm like, well, it's almost like the perfect scenario because if you can overcome this discomfort that you have with this amount of money, imagine how committed you would be after you pay that amount of money. We've we've established that you can afford it. It's not going to make you like eat cans of tuna and like sleep on the street. But you're just uncomfortable because you didn't think it would ever be that figure. And so like if you paid something you're comfortable with, yeah, you might go to the gym, but your level of commitment would be nowhere near it. It would be if you paid this uncomfortable amount of money. And like we sort of see that sometimes with the clients that are like very, very wealthy, do extremely well. And it's a very, very comfortable amount of money for them. In fact, they probably don't even like know what like $80 a week looks like. They only deal in tens of thousands. And like they don't have the same level of commitment because it's not really an uncomfortable amount of money. And I'm not saying everyone has to be uncomfortable, but there should be a little bit of discomfort financially, I think, with handing over a membership and just for the reasons that on the other side of that, you would just be so much more committed. You would just be like so much more keen to take advantage of that investment. You know, I, <laughs> I, um, I've always been one to very personally, a, uh, with my vehicles, I've always been one to just, I, I tend to buy vehicles with cash. I don't like to finance them. I end up throwing plywood in it and hauling shit around and going camping and destroying vehicles. So I've never been one to like, as you're saying, been uncomfortable with how I purchase a vehicle. It's always, I buy it cash. It's an old thing and I don't care. And, <laughs> and I tend to, with those things, just continually beat the shit out of them. And that's because I don't feel uncomfortable. Now, I do spend an obscene amount of money on uh, guitars. And you better believe I treat those things as if they're my baby. You know what I mean? And because I spend ridiculous amounts of money on these things. But my vehicles, you know, I get door dings all the time. I'll bump into stuff. I'll, you know, a two by four goes through a window. I, I really don't care ever. But it's a 
<laughs> yeah, typical two by fours through the window. Right, you know the standard, standard Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, but no, I mean to your point, it, it's a. I think that sometimes gym owners don't have confidence in their product, and that their product can command uh, a higher price tag, and that it should, because they themselves they're sort of projecting themselves onto their clients and projecting their own feelings about money and value onto these other people. And I think that, like you're saying, charging what you're worth kind of starts with you seeing the value in high value items, which you've, you know, you've talked about getting, you know, help in your business, getting a business coach or learning about marketing and paying for these things. If you didn't feel that sacrifice, you wouldn't have taken that seriously. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously I talk to gym owners all the time who, who, you know, when it comes to receiving business help, won't, don't see value in, in spending a dime on anything related to helping them become better business owners. And then they turn around and wonder why they have clients that have objections to a hundred dollars a month. It, cause it, <laughs> it kind of starts with the value that you place on things is what you're going to teach other people to place value on other things. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you're, I think just like in general, if you're just charging a higher price, like you'll naturally lift your game. Like if someone was going to sit down and PT an hour with you, they go, okay, cool. They just paid the gym $20. Like they're downstairs now, go coach them. You'd be like $20. Like, fuck. All right. I'm going to sit on the ground. I'll tell them to do some stretches. They walk around and hang off the pull up bar or whatever. It's like, Hey, this guy's paid $500 for a PT. And he's like, yeah, he just, Gave me cash and like he's downstairs. You want to go coach him? I did the best fucking job of my life. Five hundred dollars for an hour. I'd be like, what does this guy want? Does he want a foot massage at the end? Like, yeah. I think if you, I think if you lift your prices, like you'll lift your delivery of your product as well. Mm. I couldn't agree more. And I think that as you then have cash flow available to provide a better service, there's a compounding effect to the value that you can then provide to people. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty powerful stuff. Cool, guys. Uh, you guys want to talk about the um, the podcast? Yeah, so we run the uh, the Mind Muscle Project, mm-hmm. which is why we're in uniform today for this podcast. <laughs> I'm actually I'm, gonna, I'm pissed at Clay. Clay, if you're listening to this, I want a uniform. These guys have podcast uniforms. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it's essential. It's essential <laughs> to a well-run podcast. We're in our studio at the moment. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're the biggest fitness podcast in Australia and it actually like really took off because last year we did like a podcast tour of the States. Mm. So we were coming up around 100 episodes and we went from like, yeah, I think episode like 100 down to like 120. I'll show you what we're looking at. 30, we were uh, traveling around the States, around the games and, and podcasting and it, um, yeah, it really blew up the podcast. That's, our, that's a poster of our first 100 episodes. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's legit, guys. So, uh, yeah, don't show them not like the one third of 30 that they're not as good as the, <laughs> the current ones. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's been good. I mean, we probably focus mostly on like fitness, like fitness mindset, nutrition, all, all that sort of stuff, like games, athletes, coaches. Um, and then we have like a second show in the week where it's Lockie and I, yeah. um, usually just destroying someone, <laughs> something we've heard about. I think we murdered ketogenic diets. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, stuff like that. Or, 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 yeah, pretty similar to the conversation we're having today. Yeah, and uh, the, I think one thing we discussed that's been so great about the podcast is it, it has brought us quite a few members, which has been really good. 
um, due to its popularity, especially in, in the CrossFit and the functional fitness scene. But uh, it's all, uh, given us opportunities to travel and meet lots of cool people. But what it's done is it helps with the just the engagement of um, our clients outside of the gym as well, which is, I think, really important. Um, it's not what we intended for it, but I know that you know if people disengage from gyms, if they're not being contacted or if they don't have some form of contact with the owners you know, for weeks on end, they're probably going to turn their hold into a cancellation. Um, but I know when people go on hold and stuff, like they're still away on holidays, but they're still listening to our episodes. Or if they're really busy at work and they didn't make it in this week because they were traveling a lot, they're probably traveling and listening to us the whole time. So uh, it's, I think it's a really good thing. And, and also the stuff we talk about on our podcast, I think is so, so like valuable and we get so many great guests on that I want them to hear it. Like I don't want that to be a secret. And I love that they come up and they ask me more questions about the podcast or they, they really like the guests we talked about. And they're like, oh, you now you're doing this and it's in our program. Oh, that's so awesome. Like I, I can't wait to do it. And so there's just it's like just winning on so many levels. There's there's a lot of things I found. I'll tell you a story. <laughs> yesterday I'm so yesterday I'm standing around the gym. And this, there's a guy, there's a guy that comes in here. He's a, a high school football teacher, and he's uh, really like outgoing guy. He's really funny, super gregarious, and he comes running through the gym back to the bathroom, and he points to me, and he goes like this. He goes, he goes, my nipples are chafing too, <laughs> and I'm like, what's this guy talking about? And and uh, and I go back and I. And I listened to a podcast that I had done talking about running a half marathon and having my nipples chafe. And, <laughs> and so you kind, of, you kind of saying that reminded me of the things that you guys have the ability to speak to, not only on a podcast, but just generally any gym should be creating content. Like you should be creating content because there's no way that in an hour class you could ever cover the information that is necessary for somebody to lead a you know healthy and fit life better at coming from you than them listening to Joe Rogan and getting their fitness advice yeah. from him yeah yeah he's he's fit but there's not everything he says is not necessarily relevant to you yeah well yeah I'm not trying to have my members like microdose LSD before they come to the gym <laughs> <laughs> I'd prefer they eat broccoli first. Yeah. yeah. Or do like Wim Hof breathing and shit in the middle of class. They're like, all right, cool. Like my immune system is like invincible and stuff. And like, <laughs> invincible. <laughs> yeah. I can levitate and shit. It's like, whoa. <laughs> um, that's cool. Great so podcast, what other types of content are you guys creating out of the gym for your members to engage outside of class times? Well, I do most of the content creation, but recently uh, Rory – our other business owner like started and we'd always just had one Instagram, but now he started an Instagram just for uh, the second location. I think it's a good idea, not because, uh, or I've said, I'm, I'm going to get more followers than you. <laughs> so it's become a, a healthy competition. But we have three Instagrams. I think it's good just for the community. You know, it's a cool little highlight reel of their, of their day to day. So we try and do a little bit more of the Instagram. And I did see a stat, which was like, Instagram has like still 35% of the users of Facebook or something like that. So it's not the, uh, it's not everything. Um, so we try and go across, we try and post um, articles. Like I write articles, I post those on Facebook. 
uh, and I push them out. So that's that's marketing, and it's also you know just stuff that I've kind of been hearing around the gym, stuff that's on people's mind. And so I think that writing an article about it can be, you know, particularly timely. They're like, oh, cool, like yeah, I was wondering about you know the five ways I can get better pull-ups or whatever. And uh, you know, maybe it's like during the open and people didn't do well in muscle-ups or whatever. And it's like, okay, three reasons you don't have a bar muscle-up and and how to fix it. And it's particularly timely and they want to know more about that stuff or it's off-season strategies or something like that. So we've got a blog there and then, yeah, we just made like a ton of video content. We've got a good friend that works for the podcast and the gyms and does a bunch of video work and created some video content and that's why like I'm so on board with video content now because it's it's done so well for our leads um, and our marketing. And then uh, we actually for a while we started like – um. Well, we did a we did a podcast for the gyms, which we've put into a system, which they they still get like as as part of the onboarding process. Yeah, different little sections. I think it's on supplements, sleep. Um, yeah, we recorded like ten or twelve recovery like, podcasts just for the gym, and they're like automated in the email sequence. So yeah, I mean they're pretty old now, but for new members, it's brand new. Yeah, and it answers a lot of like the questions that they probably had on their mind. Yeah, and then I think one time we tried to do a monthly Q and A. And uh, we tried to do it live and get people to tune in. I think it averaged like two and a half people. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah, yeah so it wasn't very successful. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the, the only other thing I think that we do, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's really content, but it's that when we have the, the creature business owners yeah. meeting, so we get other, or anyone that owns a business within the, the three gyms, we invite to like a, a just a meetup, just an infrequent meetup. And we just have an opportunity to kind of sit down with our members and, you know, they get to talk about their businesses and their struggles and what they do well. And yeah, it's kind of like our own little internal mastermind. And I don't think it's necessarily content, but it's you know, something that we offer a section of members, which they, you know, really engage with and really enjoy. And I think it's really good. I love that idea. Um, so guys, I like to wrap up every show with something super specific, a tactic, just kind of a, a call to action for the week. Um, Certainly, there are gym owners listening to this that, that feel stuck, that have listened to things that we've talked about today, and maybe feel like, hey, I don't know where to start with making these changes. So uh, I'll turn it to you guys for the gym owner listening to this right now that, you know, let's take an action from this. I, I'm a firm believer that we don't need more knowledge, but we need to act more on the knowledge that we do have. So we've provided a lot of knowledge. We've talked a lot about it. Uh, about a lot of things today, but what can we give our listeners to turn around this week and actually take some action on this stuff? Yeah, well, I would say we one of the first things we talked a lot about the onboarding uh, experience. And I think one of the most valuable things we've done is just like take a whole list of the members. Hopefully, it comes through like a system, like we've got Waterfire, or whatever that keeps track with them, and just see like how many people that started left the gym in, in like their first three months, either like the first week or they joined and they left in the first three months and to start collating the reasons on why they left. And if you have a pretty good handle on why they left, I think usually like the answer of what you can start doing becomes pretty obvious about what might make it better. But just get a list of them and whenever we've done it, we found that's the most common time for people to leave and like I think that has such a big bang for your buck if you can just make that starting process as best as possible. Mm. And like we're always trying to improve and we're always talking about like what can go better from the time they first find the website to like three months into their experience. It's a great one. I love that. Um, I, 
I'll give them two things. The first would be to, uh, and this can be hard sometimes to, to just be diligent in doing it, but in the same way you get your clients to like track their nutrition, I would track every hour in your day for a week and see what you spend your time doing. And I'd say most gym owners would probably have number one and probably be like email. Number two would probably be like working out. Number three would probably be scrolling through Instagram. And if you think that's a great strategy for growing your business, you need to punch yourself in the face. Um, and so I think having a really good, like you said, data-driven look at uh, what you are spending your time on in a week to grow your business like, and you look at it and you get a pretty honest look, can't really complain about why your business isn't doing well. Um, so, uh, and then the second thing that I would get people to do is probably hire a good bookkeeper and accountant. Uh, I'd say probably a lot of people have like a really average one right now or they've just kind of Googled it or outsourced it. Um, and I can't speak necessarily for the one that people should get if they want to, if they're like local in Sydney and they want to reach out to us and ask who we have, they're willing to help other gyms as well. They work a lot in the fitness industry, reach out to us. Um, and you know, just on Facebook or whatever and, we can absolutely help you out, but yeah, getting someone objective to come in who knows numbers and has done this for a living to just pull everything apart and just look at it and sit down with you and be like, hey, here's the situation. Like, you need to stop doing this. You need to do that. Um, if you want money for equipment, like, why do you keep spending your money on equipment that you don't have? You know, you need to pre-order apparel. You can't afford the money up front. Don't pay for that. Just little things like that or like hey if you can actually pay yourself a little bit more here or hey maybe we should lease this thing instead or why is this cost so big potentially we don't need um google extra premium ultra service with i don't know hd video streaming or, or whatever or this subscription here just little things like that that you don't want to spend your time on and you shouldn't spend your time on uh, just someone who can get a handle on that i think is just so important yeah so important that's good stuff, guys. Um, so we can find these guys at CrossFitCreature.com. Check out the podcast, the MyMuscleProject.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. Um, any Anywhere else you'd like people to find you? Instagram, Facebook? Yeah, on on, uh, on uh, Facebook, where the My Muscle Project, and on Instagram, where the, the My Muscle Project as well. Yeah, that's it. the best place. All right, good times, guys. Uh, thanks for your time today. Uh, we should do this again, and uh, we'll uh, we'll do this again and talk about something super specific next time. We're kind of all over the place from, you know, kind of Joe Rogan to marketing, but I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's good fun. Yeah. Now we had a lot of fun. Thanks for having us on, Matt. And uh, if you don't mind, we'll um, we'll post it on up on our podcast as well. Um, you know, so we can get some uh, extra exposure for the three, two, one, go project as well. well. Certainly, guys. All right. Well, until next time, have a good one, fellas. Uh, thanks, Matty. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of 321Go Podcast. As a reminder, if you want to join hundreds of other gym owners from all around the world in completing an online marketing course over the next three months in our hub platform, we will be teaching you all about marketing. What's even better is you'll be doing it with other people. You'll be inside of our 321Go Think Tank. You have the ability to ask questions from experts in social media, paid advertising, content marketing, and marketing strategy. So 
Hop on board with us as we teach you how to market your gym and get more leads in the door over the next three months. Your first seven days in the hub are free. If you want to cancel during those first seven days, by all means, do so. But hop on board, 321goproject.com backslash hub.